Greetings from the book of Proverbs. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children it will be a refuge. Children's children are a crown to the aged, and parents are the pride of their children. The righteous lead blameless lives. Blessed are their children after them. If someone curses their father or mother, their lamp will be snuffed out in pitch darkness. Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it away. Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy the truth and do not sell it wisdom, instruction, and insight as well. The father of a righteous child has great joy. A man who fathers a wise son rejoices in him. May your father and mother rejoice. May she who gave you birth be joyful. A rod and a reprimand impart wisdom, but a child left undisciplined disgraces its mother. The word of the Lord. We are, each of us, launched into life by a family. Bert and John Jacobs are the co-founders of a $100 million t-shirt company called Life is Good. They grew up the youngest of six siblings in a lower middle class part of Boston. And when they were young, their parents had a near-death auto accident. Their mom survived with broken bones, but their dad lost his right hand and lived in chronic pain. They write in their book, Life is Good, that growing up, what they remember most about their dad was him yelling. But their mom, Joan, still believed life is good. And every night, she had those kids home for dinner. And they sat around the table, and Joan would make each child share something good that had happened that day. Here's how the brothers, Bert and John, describe the effect of that. As simple as mom's words were, they changed the energy in the room. Before we knew it, we were all riffing on the best, funniest, or most bizarre part of our day. Growing up with a mother like ours, one who sang in the kitchen and acted out children's books for us no matter what we were going through, taught us an important lesson. Being happy isn't dependent on your circumstances. She showed us that optimism is a courageous choice you can make every day, especially in the face of adversity. Jesus has been calling out to us these last weeks from the book of Proverbs, wanting to give us skill to navigate the complex realities of life. Skill, what the Hebrews called wisdom. Wisdom is more than just knowing the facts. It's more than just knowing the rules. Wisdom is a relationship with Jesus where we walk with Him, and when we come to a big decision in our lives with Him, we turn and say, how will this decision look? 
a thousand years from now, when I am with Jesus in eternity. Wisdom is the, the skill to view all things and big decisions from the vantage point of eternity. There's no place we need wisdom more than in our families. Oh, uh, come on, I thought I'd get an amen. Are, are, you, are you listening? Wake up. Our families. We know that we face hard decisions with our families, sometimes on a weekly basis. We also know the devastating consequences of a wrong decision and how those consequences can impact a family. So today, we'd like to see what the Proverbs has to say about the family and get skill for navigating this world we call family. Now, uh, I want to say a couple of things. First, I'm hoping this message applies to everyone in the room in some way, because especially the second part, we're going to talk about parents to children, and then the second part, children's to parents. And I know all of us in the room are children. We, we've had parents. We want to look at that in the second part of our message. The first part, I mean, there's a, there's a wide status of, of uh, families in this room. There are single, there are married, there are families with no children at home or grown children and gone or children at home. But one thing I do want to say and encourage all of us, even if we don't have children right now, load up on this wisdom because it takes much more than a nuclear family to launch a child. I know I could speak for my own sons now who are 26 and 23 that some of the greatest impact and transformation on their life was from some of you satellite adults who chose to invest in them. And by the way, can I get a huge shout out to all of our Waterstone Kids volunteers. Would you just stand up right now? You are changing the lives of our children, transforming their hearts each week, and we so value that. So all of us need to load up on wisdom. So let's start. Are you ready? Let's start with talking about parents to children, especially parents who have children at home. We go to the classic verse in the Proverbs, 22.6, where we read, start children off, or in many translations, you'll hear, train up a child in the way they should go, even when they are old. The word old there is literally the word beard. When they're bearded, uh, not necessarily like ancient old, but mature, they will still be guided from that input that you've uh, invested. Now, I love this Hebrew word start or train. It's a rich word, a lot of pictures with it, but it's used most in the Old Testament to talk about the dedication of a building. In Ezra, it's used frequently as they were rebuilding the temple and dedicating things. It's this idea of designating a space or a, a, an inanimate object for a certain use. So a building would be dedicated to a certain use. Some of you have been around here long enough to remember when we first started building this facility in 1997 in the west side is where we used to meet for worship. And we had this dedication service, you know, with all the things you would normally expect, scripture, prayer, you know, very solemn occasion for a bit. And then Nick got up and said a few words and he said, and here's how we want to dedicate this building. And he had a cup of Kool-Aid in his hand and he dumped it on the stage. Some of you remember that? That dedicated this building to a certain use. We built this facility to be used up and worn out. 
We did not want this building sitting empty six days a week and just meeting for worship. We wanted this building to be a gift to our communities. We wanted to actually create the attention, and I know it makes some of you, and we, we always apologize, it makes some of you members mad because you can't even find a room to use for your ministry. We choose to live in that tension. We choose to have a building that is used seven days a week, seven nights a week. We build it to be worn out and bless our community. So, yeah, we're still working on that. But we do apologize for those of you who can never find a room for your Bible study. <laughs> my, my living room's available. Take me up on it now. Empty nester. Uh, the, <laughs> the word gets richer. That's the dedication of a building for use. The word start is literally the Hebrew word hanuk, and you hear the word hanukkah in that dedication. It's literally the mouth, the palate. So it speaks of a hook set in a jaw. It speaks of a rope in a horse's mouth, bringing that horse into submission. It also speaks uh, of, of the birthing world, a midwife who would dick, dip her pinky into uh, the juice of crushed dates and rub the infant's gums to start the sucking reflex and then give that baby to the mom for connection. And there you have it. What the, the word means is this idea of discipline. No, whoa, submission, discipline, saying no, taming the wild. That's part of training. And then you also have this other part of training or starting a child where it's connection, it's cultivation, it's love, it's saying yes, it's taste the good. So let's quickly walk through both those. That's the idea of training, discipline and love. Discipline. We need to go to these verses in the Proverbs that often give the Proverbs a very bad rap. And you, I won't read them all. They've been read. You can see them. But I want to just speak to this one word, this word rod. Some people read the Proverbs and think, great, God's telling me to go around whacking my kid all the time. No. No. That's not what the Proverbs is saying. It's, first of all, the rod. It's always used with a definite article. It's a symbol or a metaphor for authority. Now, in the ancient world, I'm sure they were much more uh, using corporal punishment than probably our culture is comfortable with. But the Proverbs never advocates that we go around beating our child. Never advocates child abuse, physically damaging our child. None of that. The word rod is this symbol that means at home, parents must be the authority. Limits, boundaries, accountability, and consequences. Now, it's up to the parents how you enforce the rod. How you use your authority. Each Parents need to sit down, and we especially tip our, our hats and give our hearts to single parents, and we're always willing to help you connect to resources to talk this through. I think single parenting is the hardest job in our culture. But this idea of deciding on how you will wield your authority is a decision to be made, and just a few thoughts on it quickly. I get into the realm of opinion here. We can talk about this. But first, your system of discipline should be regimented. It shouldn't be like the worst thing for every crime. The punishment should fit the crime. In that way, if you do choose to spank, in my opinion, that should be like the last thing you do, the final resort. You should not be spanking your kid for every offense. 
Secondly, it should, you should be under control. You should never discipline your kids when your anger's out of control. You might need to take time to calm down, but you need to be under self-control for however you're disciplining your children. So it needs to be regimented, not a reflex. You need to be under control. I would even in that, under control, you, your spouse may need to know <laughs> what you're doing and how you're feeling. Maybe even witnessing what you're going to do with discipline. And then lastly, I, I would say this. Whatever discipline you're doing with your children is still a teaching moment. You're not doing it so you feel better. You're doing it because this is a pivotal moment in the life of your child. And you've got to do it well and with intention. Again, it can't be a reflex. So those are the ideas of whatever system of discipline you enact. The rod is important. And the Proverbs said, you heard it, that if you don't use the rod, your system of discipline, that's the worst thing you can do for your child. You're not at all preparing them for how life works to let your child go undisciplined. Let me just quickly add, though, with a word of empathy and application, I think that's the most relentless part of parenting. It will wear you down. There's a great book out called uh, by uh, Jennifer Senior called All Joy and No Fun, which I think is the best title of a parenting book I've seen, right, in quite a while. She has this great quote to encourage all the parents, especially of the young ones in the house. In 1971, a trio from Harvard observed 90 mother-toddler pairs for five hours and found that on average mothers gave a command to their, their child no or fielded a request, often unreasonable or in a whiny tone, every three minutes. <laughs> their children, in turn, obeyed on average only 60% of the time. This is not exactly a formula for perfect mental health. Oh, our heart goes out to you. But it is important, this remedial sense of discipline and keeping your child on track, saying no, whoa, pulling the reins, training them for life. The other thing I, I wanted to say about Proverbs 22, 6 is it says, train up a child in the way she should go. Commentators believe that that's talking about a child's temperament. So in this word of wisdom from the Proverbs, your system of discipline might have a number of consistencies through it, especially if you have multiple children, but you need to craft that system of discipline to your unique temperament of each child. So it won't look the same for each. I mean, you know this. Some of you have children that if you just give them a stern look, they are weeping and running. Others of you have a child that if you just give a look, they're just going to look right back. <laughs> you need to craft that system to fit the unique temperament of each child. So there's the discipline idea. The, let's talk about the, the love, the cultivation, the, the saying yes and tasting the good. There's two parts. If we go to Proverbs 23, we see here two parts of loving a child as we train them. Uh, I won't read it again. It's been read. But uh, there you see time Especially, you know, the father of a righteous child has great joy. What's implied in these verses behind them is that parents and children are spending time together. And then the other part of love is truth. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Wisdom, instruction, and insight. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Let's talk about time. What is uh, the vital piece of a parent-child bond, in my opinion, is time. You need to spend time together. This um, idea of quality time is a myth. 
There's just no substitute for time and more time and more time spent with your children. When they're young, that means play. That means getting down on your all fours and playing with your child. And never forget the theology of play. Mark Buchanan, a pastor up in uh, Vancouver, talks about adulthood is mostly about getting things done. Past a certain age, our existence is consumed by obligation. Deadlines loom. Responsibilities are mountainous. Chores are piling up. There's a list always of things to do. So one of the first things to die in adults is playfulness. We are a grim bunch generally, stern and mirthless, bent beneath huge invisible weights. Most grown-ups and an increasing number of youth and children feel that life is all work and no play. Play feels irresponsible. Play is one of the ways we humbly acknowledge that there is a heavenly Father who is finally in charge of life's house. If God works all things together for good for those who love Him and are called to His purposes, you can relax. If He doesn't, start worrying. If God can take any mess, mishap, wastage, wreckage, anything, and choreograph beauty and meaning from it, then you can take a day off. If He can't, get busy. Either God's always at work watching the city, building the house, or you need to try harder. Either God is good and in control, or it all depends on you. Play. The theology of play is so important to connect with our young children by coming into their world and being playful and taking the time to do that. And then the time continues when they become teenagers. Now I know, especially if there's any 15-year-olds in the house, the last thing you want in your life is your parents following you around to your uh, you know, gatherings and outings and concerts. Parents, you need to figure out how to do that. You need to enter your teenager's world. You need to listen to their music. You need to see their sights. You need to just enter their world, do their movies as much as you can, get on their turf. They spend a lot of time on your turf. Part of the secret of parenting teens is for you to get on their turf. Not, you know, to judge, not just to learn and love. They're talking all the time to you. One of the best bits of counseling I got from one of our Waterstone counselors, we had a younger son who was quite a strong introvert, and he hardly talked to us for several years. But the counselor reminded me, no, he's always talking to you. Are you listening to his music? He's talking to you. You need to always get into their world, see how they are talking to you. And um, the other thing I would say about time is you have less of it than you think. Best definition of parenting, long days and short years. I'm telling you, you don't want to hear this, you young parents. You will wake up one day, lift your head off the pillow, and say, what in the heck just happened? Where'd they go? Wendell Berry, the farmer poet, in his novel, Hannah Coulter gives a brief. Any seniors in the house this morning just graduated from high school? Yeah. Here, here's how your parents are feeling. To be the mother of a grown-up child means that you don't have a child anymore, and that is sad. When the grown-up child leaves home, that is sadder. 
I wanted Margaret to go to college, but when she actually went away, it broke my heart. Maybe if you have enough children, you could get used to those departures, but having only three, I never did. I felt them like amputations. Something I needed was missing. Sometimes even now when I come into this house and it sounds empty, before I think, I will wonder, where are they? When they leave, I am sad to see them go. And I am sad that it should seem right that they should be gone. The only way I know to slow down the shortness of those years is to spend more time with them. And more time. And look for opportunities to teach them. Great illustration of spending more time with your kid, a great model of parenting. And I want you to sit in this for a minute and see how you would have responded. It's from Gordon McDonald, great pastor who's the chancellor over at Denver Seminary. When our son turned 16, the learner's permit was hardly dry in his billfold when he came to me and said, Dad, next Friday I have a date. I'd like to take her in the truck. I said, well, bud, you can't do that. You only have a learner's permit. You can't go out at night without someone who has a license. Dad, she has a license. But the license has to be 18, I said. Dad, she's 18 and a half. <laughs> Where's the date? Boston. What time does it start? 5.30. Have you ever driven in Boston at 5.30 on a Friday afternoon? I immediately wanted to say to Mark, no way. But I said, and this is awesome, bud, Give me two hours to think about it. I go and I call the father of the girl and say, Don, you know your daughter and my son have a date next Friday? He said, yes, I do. How would you feel if you knew that Mark was going to drive in that date with just a learner's permit because your daughter has a driver's license? He said, Gordon, I trust Mark's judgment. If you feel he should do that, it's fine with me. The two hours are almost gone. <laughs> and I say, Mark, my answer is yes, under one condition. On the night before your date, you and I will drive the route to the date at the exact same time of day, and you will permit me to create any kind of circumstances and you have to react to it. He said, sure, Dad. So next Thursday at 5.30, we started out in traffic, bumper to bumper. I suddenly say to him, son, I'm sorry, but your right front tire has just blown out. What do you want me to do? What to do? What do you do with tires that have just blown out? You change them. Then get over there and change it. So we pull over into the breakdown lane with me praying that a cop won't stop, and I'll have to explain all this. Mark climbs under the pickup truck to get the jack, but he's under there for 15 minutes. When he appears, there's no jack. Jacks in most pickup trucks are under the hood. Mark found that out that afternoon. <laughs> he also discovered what to do when an alternator burns out. 
He discovered what you have to do when you plan to go down an exit ramp and the freeway is blocked because of construction and you have to take an alternative route. He also learned what happens if the truck completely breaks down and you have to make a decision late at night as to whether to call the girl's father. When we got home that night, I think Mark knew every contingency about driving a pickup truck and rush hour boss in traffic. That's good parenting. And that makes the short years a little longer. <laughs> but choosing those kinds of moments to engage rather than a simple no. So, love is time. It's also truth. It said, buy the truth for your child. I think one of the modern thoughts about parenting is that if we just create a happy environment our child will incubate and they'll pick up you know, their own convictions. We won't force ours on them. They'll just pick up their own convictions and then make their way in the world. From the Proverbs point of view, that is a very naive view of parenting. Here's the deal. Here's what we don't often at least call to mind. That every time your child is in front of a screen or a school teacher or a coach, they are being confronted with a worldview. There is no such place as a place where a worldview is not present. And worldviews are coming at our children all the time. And so the proverb is saying, you must teach your children how to buy the truth. The word truth there in Hebrew is the word for firm. It's the idea that parents must teach their children what we can count on in life, what's worth living for and what's worth dying for. That is the job of a parent. And it's always about worldview and truth. So you want to teach your kid, for instance, racism is wrong. Well, what is that statement, racism is wrong? It's not a scientific statement, and science has not one word to say about human rights. As soon as you put the word wrong in a sentence, you are talking about ethics, and you're talking about theology and a worldview. You're talking about truth. And parents need to be on the front edge of that and teaching their children truth. What is right and wrong, what we can count on in life. Now, you push back on these. Larry, yeah, my parents, they tried to teach me truth. And I maybe took half of that away from home with me. Well, according to the Proverbs, if your parents loved you and delighted in you, if they tried, if they had a moral account you know, a coherent moral account, and they tried to live it, and then they tried to teach you that, according to the Proverbs, you've been reared. You've been raised. It doesn't mean that you accept everything and take all their values, but you've been raised. Male practice in parenting, according to the Proverbs, is if you don't love your children, you don't live what you believe, and you just say, I hope you figure it out on your own. That's male practice. That is not the wisdom of the Proverbs. And so we teach our children truth. And they'll go on and, and form their own moral convictions. But our job is to teach them. So, train up a child in the way he should go means have a system of discipline according to the child's way. It also means love, which is time and truth. But what makes discipline and love authentic? Ah, modeling. Look at these verses. I especially like uh, the last one, the righteous lead blameless lies, blessed are their children after them. Or even the next one, parents are the pride of their children. 
all of that. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure refuge for their children, it will be a refuge. Houston, or, uh, Christian Smith is a professor at Notre Dame University and uh, c- completed several years back a rather controversial and formative 14-year study uh, where he tra- tra- uh, traced a group of 1,000 uh, th- uh, kids for 14 years. And he was after the, the idea of whether or how religion transfers from one generation to the other. So he tracked these kids for 14 years, and he found out that at the study that the main common thread for a child who grows up and has a vibrant living faith, the main common thread was that their parents have a vibrant living faith. Here's the good news and the bad news of parenting. Are you ready? By the time your kid's 30 years old, they'll pretty much be exactly like you. So shape the heck up, Waterstone. That's the power of modeling. So I was thinking about that this week. Thinking about my parents, I have really good parents, strong believers. You know, we we disagree on things, how the faith is applied. But my parents, I was thinking about, and the transfer of values. So one of the things Jan and I try to do is use our house for hospitality. And some of that comes from Jan's family, some of that comes from my family. But I was thinking back, my parents, my mom is the most hospitable person I've ever met. I think I've shared this with you before. I had four grandparents die in our living room because my mom didn't want them to die in a facility. When I was in junior high, we lived, my dad was in the Air Force, we moved a ton. So we were in Liverpool, New York for two years on an Air Force base. And we had this unfinished basement. And the church we were going to, Liverpool Baptist Church, was starting a Bible college. For two years, these uh, two theology professors, they lived in Pennsylvania. They would drive up to New York and teach on a Tuesday through a Thursday. And my mom, her heart went out to them. They lived with us every week while they were in session at school from a Tuesday to a Thursday. They lived in our unfinished basement. We had theology professors in the basement. <laughs> My dad, his sense of humor. So on those weeks, those days I'd have to get up for school, he'd bring Professor Thomas A. Thomas up, and he'd crack the door to my bedroom and get me up for school. Thomas A. Thomas, to this day, had the deepest bass voice I have ever heard. And I'm talking deeper than Barry White or Tennessee Ernie Ford. It's the deepest voice I've ever heard in my life. My dad would have him stand. He'd crack the door, and t- Professor Thomas would say, Consider the ant, thou sluggard. That was my alarm clock in junior high. (laughs) Now, as a senior in high school, my dad wanted to teach me how to file tax returns. And the way he taught me was he went through his, and I watched over his shoulder. I remember that in 1980, my dad, a master sergeant in the Air Force, made over a little over $20,000 that year. And do you know what else I remember? Him figuring up that that year, from that $20,000, they'd given $2,000 to their church. Your kids are watching how much you're gambling on eternity. They're watching. Modeling is what makes the discipline and the love authentic. So that's enough about parenting children. 
Let's talk about children to parents for a few moments. If we go back to Proverbs 23, we read, listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. Do not despise your mother. That's the fifth commandment. If you put the fifth commandment in the positive, it's honor your father and mother. What the responsibility of an adult child is to their parents, living or dead, is to honor them. I think that's an amazing word choice. It's not trust them. It's not love them. It's not obey them. It's honor them. Why? Well, I think, first of all, because the, se- the seasons of parenting change. So when you are young and at home and under your parents' roof, you better obey them. Why? Because it's good for you, and life goes well for you. But if you're 30 years old and the main concern of your life is still to obey your parents, there's a disaster on the other side. It's also effective because, well, let's just be honest. Many parents are below average. Some parents are evil. And so God says, honor your father and mother. What does honor mean? It's the Hebrew word kavod, which means glory. Weight. Their weight should push down on your life so that there is a place for them in your life. To honor your father and mother means that you make a place for them in your life. Now that place will depend on how healthy that relationship is or has been. If your parents were good parents, man, what's honor in our culture look like? A place at the table, remembering special days, giving them access, especially to your grandkids because they don't really care much about you anymore. (laughs) Um, It it, it means talking about legacy, the traits that you see in yourselves that come from them. Do you know how good that makes a parent feel? It's it's about helping them when they get older. It's about helping them die. We honor them. But for some of us in this room who have had below average parents or even evil parents, Do you know what the honor might look like? It might be you mustering up against every grain in your heart this idea that you should pray for them. And you give them that place. And you pray for them. And that may be it. You may have to keep all the other boundaries in place because of the effect that they've had on your life. And that's healthy. But you make a place. And it may only be prayer but you honor them. You know what else you do to honor your parents? You forgive them. You try to take, and I don't want to, this is so hard. I don't want to just gloss this, but you try to take that past out of the middle when you pray for them or when you go about life, you're taking your past out of the middle. Let Let me illustrate I think until you can forgive your parents, your whole life gets distorted. Tim Keller tells the story about living in Virginia, and he would try to invite his neighbor's kids to VBS every year. And every year they'd go knock on the door, and the father would come to the door, and he says, no, you're not taking the kids to VBS. My father forced me to go to church. He forced his religion down my throat. You are not taking my kids to VBS. Keller would walk away thinking, man, that 
adult son is still controlled by his father. You need to forgive them to get their hands off your life, your life, their hands off your life. Sometimes honoring your father and mother is leaving them. You say, Larry, how can I do that? How could I ever forgive my parents for what they've done to me? How could I ever even create a space to pray for them in my life? The only thing I know to tell you about that is what we've been saying after every message, it seems, with the Proverbs. It's go back to the wisdom of Jesus, and the wisdom of Jesus is we've got to believe the gospel and pound it into our heart, the gospel. The gospel is good news, which says Jesus made a covenant with the Father to come to earth to save us. He laid down his life to live the life we should have lived and die the death we should have died so our sins could be forgiven. And here it is, we can have relationship with his Father. We could have the Father who delights in us and our name is written on the palm of his hand. That Father in the ultimate home called heaven. And when we have that Father and our future home invading our lives now, then we can turn to our parents and say, look, at one point, you were God to me. You were the source of my significance, my security, and my wisdom. But you're no longer God to me. No longer. I have a heavenly Father, and I'm on my way home. And with that, you can turn and be free to forgive and honor your parents, dead or alive, no matter what they've done. Come home. Come home. Come unto me. All you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and gentle, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus. As we close the message in prayer, we still have a few more exciting things to do this morning, namely sing to our Father. But I just want to say a prayer, and I'm going to go three directions with this prayer. Some of us in this room have children we've raised Proverbs 22.6, an observation, not a promise. And some of us have kids there that have kind of gone off the rails, looking in the wrong places for truth, kind of turned their back on how they were raised. And I want to say a prayer for any of those kids in the room. And if you're parents of some of those kids, however, if you want to get on your knees, if you want to stand up, feel free. I also want to say a prayer for young parents who are about to die raising their kids because it's so relentless. Just, just babysit for some of these young couples one night, and you will be so glad those years were short. <laughs> and so, I'm just, it's relentless. We love doing it. Call me. Uh, <laughs> I want to pray for parents. And then, lastly, I want to pray for adult children whose parents have just been a huge disappointment and wounded their children. And I want to pray for you. So let's pray. Take any posture you want, anything that you want to be serious and give your heart to God right now. Let's pray. Father, first of all, we are just so grateful for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you pour the love of the Father into our hearts 
and we recognize that every moment we are so loved and you are so present to us and you are working for our good and you are restoring relationships and redeeming the past. We trust in your goodness, Father. You are a good Father. You've demonstrated your love for us by sending your Son. And we lean on you. Lord, for parents in the room and who have children who've wandered off the rails, they've become prodigal. We pray that you'd break into their lives through a satellite adult, through a, a life circumstances, though we don't want them hurt. We pray that you'd reveal yourself again and bring them home. All those children who've wandered away, bring them back, show yourself. Do your work in their heart. Lord, for the parents in this room who are weary and exhausted just from little ones or maybe struggling with a kid who's really struggling, we pray your endurance. Send someone to come and lift up their arms. Give them a night out. But Lord, just I, I want to pray for perspective and just realize they're doing the most important work of launching their children. Encourage them by your grace today that they are engaged in a mighty and noble battle and it will be worth it. So give them endurance. And then for any of us in this room who are still recovering from miserable parents, I want to pray your grace for them. Show them what forgiveness looks like. Show them what healthy boundaries are. Show them that they have you as a father and so they are free, free to forgive and honor. I pray your help and strength for every adult child who is still learning to honor their parents. Thank you, Jesus. We sing to you now with all our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.